I'm going to be preaching from Daniel chapter 6. You might want to turn there in your Bible as you can follow along throughout the sermon. I'm actually going to read the text kind of through the sermon and talk about it as I read it. Um, if you're following along, I'm doing a series uh, called A Summer of Story. There is a reading plan you can get. I think there's still a few out, either door or there's one on the sermon webpage um, that gives you stories throughout the week. And I realized late this week that I had written the stories down wrong. I actually think Daniel was next week and not this week. Uh, if you're very astute and following along, you'll know that. But by that point, I wasn't writing another sermon. And I had already tied the sermon into communion, so I thought, well, I'm just going to do it out of order. So uh, if you're really following along, I'm sorry, but we're, we're uh, going to do it in a little bit mixed up order. Daniel is one of the prophets, and if you want to understand the prophets, really if you want to understand anything in the Bible, you have to understand this thing called the exile. And you'll hear me reference it because it's a big part of the scriptures. Israel had gotten out of Egypt with Moses. You've all probably heard this story. and They're finally in the land, but they struggle in the land. They don't do a good job of clearing the land out of other people. Uh, Israel tends to mix their religious practices with other religions and gets into all kinds of trouble. And eventually, they are taken off. They, they are taken out of the land into what's called exile. The idea by the Babylonians and later by the Persians would be if, if they took over your land, they would let you live there. But if you were a problem, what they would do is make you leave and spread you out all over the country or all over the, the, the different countries that then uh, Babylon and Persia had. And that way you would really lose your sense of identity. I mean, think about it. If, if we were all forced to leave America and go to different places, by four or five generations, you're not American anymore. You will kind of join whatever place you are. And we, we know that because in the scriptures we see all kinds of, of Israelites in these stories that end up with Babylonian names. Uh, that end up with names that are not Jewish. And so the idea was let's spread these people out so that they start to look like the cultures that they're moving to and they cease to really be their own sort of unit. And frankly the strategy worked pretty well. And Israel really struggled in captivity. Uh, and so, depending on the prophet you're reading, some of the prophets are writing before the exile. So they're writing sort of warning Israel that this is coming. Some of the prophets are writing in exile, and that's Daniel. Daniel is writing, Daniel, the book of Daniel takes place in the exile. So they've already been taken off to another place. Okay? And then some prophets are looking afterwards, kind of looking back and trying to negotiate. I mean, the exile is a major crisis for Israel. Imagine the identity crisis that you think you're God's chosen people. You finally get your promised land, and then suddenly you're carried off to another place. You lose your land. You lose your claim. You lose your identity. Your children don't even know what it's like to live in the land that you came from. There's this big crisis that goes on, and so the prophets come along to give several messages. First of all, that this is not God's doing. That this is in part based on Israel's lack of faithfulness. That it's not over. That most of the prophets are looking forward and saying, nah, it's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. Or, or, or the last message of the prophets 
And this is the message that most of the prophets end with. Is that, you know what? There's actually hope at the end of this. Not hope for everybody, but for a remnant, for a small group. God's going to be faithful. God hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't abandoned our promises. It's why I'm finding myself as a pastor drawn more and more to the prophets. And more and more to preaching the prophets. Because I think a lot of us feel like we as a, as a church, that we as Christians in this world are a lot more in exile. A lot more outside of our land. A lot more of our children and our grandchildren don't tend to look at things near the same way that we did. And there's a little bit of a crisis going on for many of us. And I think the message of the prophets is more potent now than it ever has been because we need to know that some of this may be due to our lack of faithfulness. Maybe it's not over. Maybe there's more to come. And maybe the message of hope needs to ring even louder today. And so we turn to Daniel. We're in the sixth chapter. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Those are sort of managers, sort of middle level leaders to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one. To whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall, find, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Here we see Daniel in another land, in exile. And he's, he's making his way up the chain. He's being faithful. He's being honest. He's doing the work. And he's getting the respect in this other place. So even though he's Jewish, he, the king is thinking about putting him over the whole kingdom, which at this time is a giant kingdom. But leadership... But standing up for what's right, but being honest, makes other people envious. Other people jealous of success, other people that want to cheat, that don't want to do the work to get to the top, will be out for you. But what can they do? How can they get to Daniel? How can they bring him down if he's so honest, if he stays with such a straight line? Well, they have one source of ammunition to get to Daniel. And that is his faith. The only way they're going to get him is if he's got to choose his faith over what they ask of him. Man, I think more Christians need to have this kind of character. The kind of character where the only thing people can really get against you is how honest you are. It's how faithful you are. And so they go after him. Start again in verse 6. 
Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the kingdom should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of Medes of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. The trick works. The trick works because these, these rulers, these leaders, appeal to the king's ego. All these people are worshiping other gods. They should be worshiping you and you alone. Why don't we make a rule that for 30 days, that's all anyone is allowed to do? They know that Daniel is never going to go for this. In fact, they don't ever make this kind of claim while Daniel's in the room because he would never stand for it. They, They don't even do it when Daniel's there. He finds out later. Here we go. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, remember, he must not have been there. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel prays three times a day. I've talked about this many times. How the Jewish faith does this. How the Muslim faith does this. And how for generations and generations Christians did it too. Until about the Reformation where we sort of stopped this idea of daily prayer. Or for many of us Christians, daily prayer was replaced by mealtime prayer, which is really not the same thing. But Daniel does it, even though he is not allowed by the king, he stops three times a day and prays towards Jerusalem. Then these men, verse 11, came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction? that anyone who makes petition to any gods or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said that the thing stands fast according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, they knew they had him. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that it is a a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. The king knows that he's trapped. In fact, several times this text has said they, they came before the king as they had agreed. I mean, they, they knew they were going to do this. This was set up. This was planned. They came as a group to make sure the king couldn't back out. And even though the king wants to save Daniel... In his brash rule, he has doomed Daniel. And they're not going to let him out of it. He can't go back on his word as king. If he does, he's in big trouble. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the lion's den. 
And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you served continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. The king that can't sleep, can't even be entertained as a king. He's got all the pleasures that he could want, but nothing is going to help him tonight. Sleep will flee from him. Have you had those nights before? That's a very interesting description of what sleep sometimes does. It flees from us. Won't let us go to sleep because we're worried about something. It's interesting that it gives the king's night and how that went. But do you notice that Daniel is totally silent at this part of the text? We don't know what's going through Daniel's mind at all. In fact, what's really clear, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, Daniel hears no word from the Lord either. Daniel doesn't know he's going to be saved from the lions. He has no assurance. And so when he goes before the king and when he is put in that lion's den, he's got to think he's kitty chow. He's got to think that he is not going to be alive very long. And he's making peace with God and he's saying goodbye to any neighbors and friends that he sees along the way because Daniel doesn't know what's going to happen. I wish the text would give you some clue as to what's going through his head and what he says as he's going in. We don't know if he marches boldly into that lion's den or if he's scraping his fingernails because he, well, who would want to go live with lions for the evening? We don't know. And we hear nothing from God. In fact, nothing in this whole story so far from God. Where is God? Isn't that the whole question of the exile? It's the question here too. Where is God when we're in the lion's den? Where is God when we go through this? Couldn't God have stopped this somewhere along the way? But we get nothing. We get nothing about Daniel. We get nothing about God. All we get is this king that can't find any diversions and sleep flees him. I think we've all been there in our lives, too. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of the lions. I don't know why he does that. Maybe he, maybe he thinks the God of Daniel might save him. He invokes this on Daniel the night before. That you really want to verify what you think probably happened in that lion's den. But he went in haste. He runs to see what's going on in this den. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. We've all cried out in a tone of anguish before. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God. Isn't this amazing that this king, who's not a Jewish king, calls Daniel a servant of the living God, not one of the many gods, not his servant, who's supposed to be worshipped as God, but the living God. Has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, 
O King, live forever. My God has sent His angels to shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before Him. And also before you, O King, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Then the king commanded and those who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones. To pieces. Daniel is saved. He got to sleep with those lions. Because he was blameless. But I don't think it's just because God, that he had earned some kind of favor with God. Is it because he trusted? I, I'm not sure that the trust is necessarily the cause. But I think God wanted to get glory in this situation. And Daniel was one who was not going to point to himself, but he was going to point to God. And so he did. There's this text, this message about those that accuse Daniel being thrown in the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. That does not make most Sunday school curriculum right there. And all the Daniel in the lion's den children's sermons you've ever heard, that part was left out. A little cruel, I, I don't know. It's a different time then. But remember that these people have been out to get God, to make a fool out of God and out of God's people. They had almost robbed the kingdom of one of its best leaders. And so I'm not sure how you justify that. I'm not sure what you do with that, except to say that God will not be made a mockery of. That God will stand for His people, that they may accuse for a while, but God is with them in the end. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall, be, shall never be destroyed and His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Think about the amazing turnaround of this story. A story that starts out with Daniel doing well, but these people out to get Daniel, and it worked. Daniel in exile in the lion's den. But God saves. In fact, as the king declares, God is a God who delivers and who rescues. If you haven't figured it out, in all the stories we've been talking about all summer, and all the stories of the Bible, God saves. God does work. He does things to help His people. That God is with us in the middle. This is the nature of God to save us and to be with us. That is the whole notion of the cross. That Jesus would enter into the lion pit with us. That He would die so that we wouldn't have to die. That 
that is who God is. And so once again, as with all the stories I've been covering all summer, God does the saving. But notice the other piece of this. Not just that God saves, but, but notice the example of Daniel's character. Who is so honest, who is so faithful, that even though he knows he's threatened with the lion's den, he will pray. Who, when he gets out, gives all the glory to God. And think about the switch in this story. This story who started out with Daniel being, being attacked and went to a, a rule that only the king could be worshipped. And think about this end. That the king says, as a rule across the whole empire, that people are supposed to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. This is what God does with us, everyone. This is what God does with us. God wants to get glory in our lives. And I think God does get glory in our lives in two ways. God, give, God gives glory, gets glory in our lives when we are faithful. When we live with character. When we are honest. God gives us so much help in the Holy Spirit. So much help in the church. So that we can live a life of character. So that when people look at our lives, they see something different in us. And God sometimes puts us on a stage. God sort of shines a light on us. That people may see our character. And therefore we get this opportunity to do what Daniel does. Which is to point past ourselves and say, hey, look what Jesus did. That's why I have the character I do. That's why I live the life I do. And not just our character, but especially our character when we are under trials. When we are being attacked. When we are in the lion's den. When, when sleep flees from us. When we cry out in a tone of anguish. Do we still have the character to trust anyway? Do we still have the character to believe and to witness to God being with us in the middle of the lion's den? And I think, I think that's where God really gets glory. I think that's what God calls us to do. To constantly be living our lives so that when people ask, we can point to the source of the hope that we have. And, and to get through that, we are sustained. As Daniel was sustained in his prayer life, so we have prayer. So we have Christian community. And so we have communion that we're going to celebrate in a few moments. That God will be with us and sustain us even when we go through the lion's den. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go in the lion's den. I would much rather God's plan involve me not feeling pain and not going through difficult times. The story of Daniel, though, says that not only does God allow us to go through the lion's den, but sometimes God's purposes involve us going through difficult times so that He can receive glory in the witness that we have. And that's a difficult message to hear, and I think it's all over the Scriptures. And so, as we come to the communion table today, we're reminded that in communion, we are Christ's body. We are reminded of the promise that Christ would come and die for us and suffer with us. That it is the mind of God to suffer in our place instead of to make us suffer. But if we are going to suffer, 
that He will sustain us and be with us. That is the point of the meal. That is the point of the table. And to help you remember that when we go to communion, uh, you'll see on the table as you come forward some little lions, some little plastic lions. I don't know what lions, Dan, you're in right now, what difficulty you're going through, what threats are against you, but as you come forward a little bit, in a little bit for communion, remember that God is with you in the lion, Dan. You might not know whether you're going to get through or not, but angels are closing lion mouths all around you. I would just end the sermon with a, a great quote from a really weird movie that I love starring Dustin Hoffman called Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. If you've never seen that, it's a great kid's movie. And Mr. Megorium, coming to the end of his life, says to one of the people that work for him, he says, your life is an occasion. Rise to it. Your life is an occasion. Rise to it. Be Christians of character. Rely on God to do that for you. Be Christians of character, especially when it's difficult. I've never understood this idea that when times get difficult, I stop going to church. And I hear people do that all the time, and I don't understand it. When Martin Luther, um, Martin Luther said one time when he was having a really particular difficult day, he said, man, I'm busy today. I've got a lot to do. I better pray an extra hour this morning. He was not one that would shy away from his faith. He was one who would cling to his faith in difficult times. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that you walk with us in difficult times. We thank you that you hold us, that you close those lions' mouths. Lord, that sometimes the difficulties that we go through are according to your purposes, that others might see our character and our witness and that we might have an opportunity to point to you. Sustain us for the difficulties that we go through by speaking to us now and by being with us in the sacrament of communion. In Jesus' name, amen.